Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. I hope you were able to join us for our webinar last week entitled The Biden Agenda, Day One and the Next 99. We covered a wide range of topics in that webinar, and if you haven't had the opportunity to view it, I would encourage you to check it out on bostonprivate.com. Today, I want to dig into two of the topics that we touched on in that webinar in a bit more detail. Both have to do with taxes. Not surprising given the emphasis on the Biden tax agenda during the campaign and in the days since the inauguration. And both relate to the value of the equity market against the backdrop of changes in the corporate tax rate and the capital gains tax rate. Let's start with the corporate tax rate. Just to set the stage, um, the last time that we had a change in the corporate tax rate was as a result of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, when the corporate tax rate was pulled back from 35% to 21%. The current proposal on the table from the Biden administration is to move that tax rate not all the way back up to 35%, but to 28%. And in thinking about what the potential impacts would be on the equity market, first and foremost, Just like we saw in early 2018 when this particular tax uh, rollback occurred, we would expect an almost immediate effect on certain ratios such as the P.E. ratio. So if you think about why, taxes fall straight to the earnings of a company. So while what we call the top line or revenues are affected by sales, um, the earnings have all of the other deductions coming out of them, including taxes. And so if you increase or decrease taxes, that hits earnings immediately um, and is much less of a a flow through or transmission the way that other expenses for our corporation are. And so if we go back to 2018, the sectors that were most impacted by the decrease in corporate taxes were healthcare, technology, and materials. And so those companies benefited most from the decrease in the corporate tax rate. If you look at the S&P 500 today, it's anticipated that an increase from 21% to 28% would result in perhaps about a 7% increase or excuse me, decrease in operating earnings for the S&P 500, which isn't that significant, but it's certainly something that should be priced into the equity market. The other thing to think about is that this particular tax hike is coming at a time where we're experiencing or expecting to experience over the course of the next couple of years, rising interest rates. And so, you know, from a valuation perspective for the market, rising interest rates affect multiples such as the price to earnings ratio in two ways. First, if companies are paying higher interest rates on their debt, that's going to, to decrease their earnings over time. Um, that's pretty clear why. They're having to pay out more money to bondholders and therefore there's less uh, earnings to be delivered to shareholders. The other thing to think about is the way that valuations are determined. And so if you think about a traditional model where you're expecting to derive the future value of cash flows for a company over the course of several years or a longer term time period, 
you have to discount that future value back to the present value. And how you do that is that you discount at, you know, the current interest rate. And so if interest rates are going higher, that discount rate will be higher. And therefore, the future cash flows are worth less in current value than they would be in a lower interest rate environment. So all of those are going to point to a um, a lower earnings number, and therefore a higher multiple for an equity market that is already feeling somewhat expensive. The offset to that, and what we've continued to drive home in our conversations with our clients, is that we actually expect earnings to increase based on the traditional method of increasing revenues over the course of the next couple of years. So coming out of the pandemic, many companies are still not back to executing at the same level that they were prior to the pandemic. And so we do believe that with this improvement in economic growth, with some of the success that we're having in starting to disseminate vaccines, with an expected return to a more normal a consumer spending pattern in the back half of 2021, we expect earnings to grow and therefore be able to offset, uh, to some extent, this increase in corporate tax rates and interest rates from a valuation perspective. So if you believe that economic growth will be strong enough to deliver uh, sizable revenue increases for many companies, um, the likelihood is, is that those increased earnings will more than offset these two negative earnings impacts over the course of the next uh, couple of years. The reason that the corporate tax rate is being spotlighted is not necessarily that it's a huge boon from a revenue perspective for the federal government. To put it in perspective, corporate taxes only provide about 7% of federal revenues, whereas uh, individual income taxes provide uh, almost 50%. So it's not like this is, you know, a, from a magnitude perspective, as important as what's happening with uh, individual income tax rates. But taxing companies more is a much easier pill to swallow on both sides of the aisle. And therefore, it is likely that we will see a change in the corporate tax rate, um, despite the fact that that could be seen as a disincentive in a recovery for companies to continue to hire and reinvest. I think that those objections um, will be overruled by the fact that with all of the stimulus spending that we've seen over the last year, there clearly needs to be an influx of revenue um, into the federal coffers, and corporations are probably the easiest target for that. So we think that the likelihood of an increase in the corporate tax rate is pretty high, although it remains to be seen if that's going to happen this year or perhaps next year, but likely before the midterm elections in 2022. The other potential tax change that investors will be watching are changes to the capital gains tax rate. So this could generate several hundred billion dollars of tax revenue that's not that's currently being left on the table by the fact that uh, long-term capital gains are, are, are capped. And so while all of the proposals are somewhat up in the air right now, we could see a reset in the fact that long-term capital gains and qualified income could be taxed at the highest tax rate for individuals with earned income above a million dollars. That's probably the easiest place to start. Um, opponents of an increase in the capital gains tax rate 
point to the expanded participation of individuals in the equity markets over the last decade and the fact that many retirees sell their positions to fund their spending and that therefore this represents an unfair cost to those people who may not be uh, making significant income on their investment portfolio. That concern's probably overstated from a magnitude perspective. Many retirees are actually relying on retirement accounts which are tax deferred to fund their spending. And so therefore, they're really just paying taxes when they take the money out and not necessarily paying taxes on capital gains when those securities are sold. But if we are to assume that there will be some sort of increase from the current threshold, what could happen? Well, a lot of what I'm asked about is, you know, will this cause a dislocation in the equity market when all of these investors go to sell their highly appreciated stocks ahead of some sort of capital gains tax increase? And what sectors or stocks could potentially be targeted there? So the answer is, sure, that could happen. There could be a modest acceleration in the realization of capital gains as a result of an expected tax increase. There will probably be a date provided, um, as Doug Fisher mentioned, I believe in our webinar last week, where that new capital gains tax rate would take, it would, would go into effect. Uh, and therefore, there could be some selling into that. Targets would likely be on the growth side. Uh, if you think about large cap tech, um, those stocks have done really well over the last several years. There's probably some significant embedded gains in that. Um, but for many people, the large capital gains that they have embedded in their portfolios are usually as a result of owning stocks for a very long period of time. So although we've seen significant increases in value for technology and other growth stocks over the last few years, you know, for the average investor who has sizable capital gains, the gains could be more diversified across their portfolio than just in the stocks that have done really well over the last few years. The other thing to think about is what happens with that money if those gains are realized? And so there are some um, rules that the IRS um, thinks about in terms of uh, taking losses in stocks. But as far as gains go, uh, the likelihood is, is that this money will be reinvested in equities, not necessarily in the same stocks. I mean, we certainly could see this as an opportunity for some of the value uh, rotation that we've talked about moving away from heavy uh, growth factor stocks and into those that have a more cyclical um, or value factor tilt, uh, given the backdrop of improving economic growth. We could, we could see that. Um, but the likely impact is it would be reinvested in the equity market. Given where we are in the economic cycle and the relative unattractiveness of other alternatives like bonds, it's unlikely that a lot of this money would stay out of the equity market and on the sidelines in cash or go into fixed income, given our expectations for what equities are likely to do compared with other asset classes over the next couple of years. This is consistent with historical experience. So typically, tax increases tend to come at a time of improving or strong economic growth and therefore are support the notion of reinvestment into equities after um, selling for tax gain, uh, to capital gains reasons. And so we wouldn't expect there to be a protracted or sustained or probably even significant 
impact on the equity market, given all of the things that we just talked about. The final thing that I would note is that individual taxable investors here in the United States make up a very small percentage of the investments within the S&P 500, for instance. So large institutional investors, um, foreign investors, a lot of stakeholders who would not be impacted in any way by an increase in the capital gains tax rate um, by the IRS make up the bulk of the investing public in the S&P 500 and the U.S. equity market at large. So again, just from a magnitude perspective, really don't expect there to be much of an impact. The negative consequence, though, is important. It could result in the hesitancy to sell at all. And we've certainly seen this in the past where capital gains tax rates have been increased, is that instead of accelerating the realization of those gains, there's a hunkering down in the current portfolio and a wait wait and see mentality applied. And our view is that that could be even more detrimental to your portfolio longer term. And so while we always advocate a long-term perspective in thinking about your investment portfolio, Holding on to relative underperforming assets due to tax concerns is is certainly not ideal either. And so when we look at balancing the investment opportunity uh, with the tax consequences, that is something where we could see, and we actually did see this coming into the, um, the financial crisis, a lot of uh, energy stocks. Um, a lot of financial stocks that have been held for a long period of time had significant embedded gains, um, and those gains uh, were um, those stocks were negatively impacted by what happened in the GFC. And so, at some point, it would have been better to take some of that money off the table. And so, from a behavioral point of view, uh, we want to be able to have those conversations with our clients to talk through why we're holding onto these stocks. And if there is a legitimate investment rationale, or if it would be better to take some of the gains at least um, and reallocate that capital. So what are the takeaways? Going back to what we said in the past, the economic cycle and the existence of alternatives are going to impact investor demand for stocks more than anything else. Corporations will find ways to offset, offset the higher taxes in their earnings. And individuals should work with their advisors to determine the best course of action to minimize their tax impact while still ensuring that their investments are appropriate to meet those long-term goals. We will continue to provide our thoughts on this changing tax environment over the next several months, but we would look forward to speaking with you individually to help navigate these changes, as we do expect there to be some significant changes in the next year, particularly on the tax front. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, taxes, the economy, estate planning, and the rest of the year ahead by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you 
next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.